What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law, and this is episode 23 of the podcast. The Michael Jordan episode, if you will. Two, three. Let's get into it. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this podcast aims to do. We are interviewing elite players who have lost one or two games in a major event. We're going to have them break down the mistakes they made and how they plan to learn from them. How often have you blamed the game on bad dice? We've all done it. I've done it. You've done it. Nick Nanavati's done it. That's what this episode aims to debunk. We are headed down to Florida, the land of the alligators, the land of the Florida man. We are going to Orlando to the Crucible GT, where we are going to talk about some blood angels or some blood jangles, if you were, as they play into a Grey Knight army in the final round of the GT. Now, this is part one of the episode. In this, in this part, we will analyze the game. We'll talk about common mistakes. We'll talk about the secondaries that these players chose, their target priority, and just how the game played out. Make sure to join us for part two, which is available to subscribers at theartofwar40k.com, where we will dive into strategies, different list adjustments the player may or may not make, and just how they learned, how they plan to learn from their mistakes and move forward at their next event. My co-host today is now known as the Tony Romo of 40K because he has been doing some commentary as of late. More commonly, he is known as the Tom Brady of 40K due to his massive amount of accolades. He is a four-time Adepticon champion, a three-time Nova Open champion. He is a former ITC champion. He is a lifetime member of Team USA. He is currently number five in the ITC. He is not Brad Chester. He is Mr. Brown Magic Nick Nanavati. Blake, that was the best intro anyone has ever given me. Thank you so much. You're welcome, man. And I have to know, are you now the John Madden of 40K is the big question. Because I do you love are drawing on those screens. I, really I see some big X's and O's, you know, you're circling things. You're, you're just doing, they're going to make, if they make a video game for 40K down the road, like for just like tabletop play, it should be called like Nick Donovani's Warhammer 40K. And it should be like a year. So like Nick Donovani, 40K, 2022, you know, buy it for the PlayStation. <laughs> I, I don't know about all that, but it would be cool if I was on your TV. Wait, I am. Do you think that uh, the person on the cover of the of the game would be cursed for the next season, like the Madden curse? It'd be the Nick curse, you know, like you're on the cover of the video game and now you're going to have an awful ITC season? No, that would be too much power for one person to have. But if there's anyone who maybe has broken the Nick curse, it is our guest over here. Well, speaking of which, guess who's back? Back again. Guess who's back? Jack is back. Jack is back. Our guest today is one of is also known as Jack Templars or Blood Jangles. He is a Nova Invitational Champion. He has won the Battle for Salvation. He is a three top finishes at the BAO in both 2018 and 2019. Most recently, he finished fifth at Clutch City, 10th at Dallas Open, fourth at GW uh, Orlando, sixth at GW NOLA, and 11th at ACO. He is currently sitting, I believe, in third place in the ITC, Mr. Jack Harpster. Hello, hello. Good to be back. 
Jack, we chose this episode. It's number 23. And I chose you because are you or are you not the Michael Jordan of 40K? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, fair for me to say to myself. Nick, don't chime in, please. The MJ, yeah. And which, and also, which Primark do you identify with most? And why is it Sanguinius? Oh, Lorger did nothing wrong. Okay. I, think that's, I think that's a fact. He didn't do anything wrong. Well, good. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. I like to root for winners. So Sanguinius, maybe not up there. Yeah, he's uh, he's a big loser. He's uh, he's up there on the loser list, I believe, when you talk about the horse heresy. But Jack, tell us a little bit about Crucible. Where was it at? How many people were there? So it was in Orlando. It was about what was it, about eighty people, I believe. Yeah. And uh, it was just a great time. I mean, the hot tub wasn't working, but other than that, great time. Um, a lot of people from the Central Florida area. A lot of people from Team Brohammer that we know. So it was a good time. You got to see a bunch of great people, a lot of good players. Um, overall, fantastic event, and I'm looking forward to next year. Now, what was their terrain layout situation like? What was their um, method of terrain, I suppose? Uh, they were following loosely to the GW um, terrain standard. So they didn't quite have the same pieces of terrain, so it, was a little, it wasn't quite as blocked off. Um, the GW terrain is the big squares of terrain, but with more... Um, solid walls on it. Whereas this had the big squares and ideally they were blocked off of solid walls. But once you get close, it's probably a little less, uh, a little less blocked, but look, by and large GW standard. So did you think about this similar to how you thought about going into Orlando with the blood angels? Were you thinking like, all right, this is the list I'm taking. And, um, or did you do some adjustments going in based on that? No, I, uh, I kept it point for point power for power. Exactly the same. Uh, I, believe I was about to list. say, because you you kind of thought about your Blood Angels quite a bit before Orlando, and I think you kind of the terrain was a big factor for you going into that one. Yeah, I I think that uh, it can be a decent army on most terrain. It can be a good army even on some heavier trains or player placed. Um, but I think it's at its best in the GW terrain, where you have easy access to the center of the board. It's blocked off, and you have easy access to your opponent's objectives as well. And you're just going to blast them across that terrain and cover and just um, eat some people. Yeah, we got it. We've seen it. We've seen it all. We've all seen it on stream. If you haven't, go check it out. I think you're on a GW stream a couple times, huh? Yeah, a few times. I think two or three times I'm on the stream. Um, and then we have a couple games up on YouTube and in the War Room as well. That's right. If you, if you, don't, if you haven't gone to the War Room or checked out our battle reports or the games they, the coaches play, check it out. The, the Oh, my gosh. TheArtOfWar40K.com. I just messed it up. I'm sorry, guys. All right. So let's jump right into the matchup. So you played your Blood Angels at Crucible this weekend. You were 5-0 and going into the final round on Sunday, and you met our co-host here, Mr. Nick Nanavati, and his Grey Knights. Yeah, so there were three undefeated players. Uh, there were the two of us, and then there's David Azawa. So this one person was going to get the pair down. One person had to uh, play, play Nick. And uh, Nick we, we happened to match up in each other. You know, so I'm allowed nice things, to too. What's that? I was saying I could have gotten the pair down. It would have been lovely if I got nice things too. Yeah. Well, neither of us got nice things. We had to play each other. Yeah. Jerk. Yeah. Mm. A good old. So Nick, or uh, sorry, Jack, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your Blood Angel list. Let's run it. Let's run through it real quick. Sure. So I actually personally love this list quite a lot. I've been working playing it for quite quite a while, a couple months. It is uh, the headliner of the list is a chaplain on bike with Master of Sanctity. And he has the full setup, two warlord traits and a relic. His first warlord trait gives him a reroll to hit, wound, and saving throw. Not one or the other. You get all three every turn. What is that one called? Which what, what warlord trait is that? It's called Gift of Foresight. And his next warlord trait is uh, Artisan of War, which gives you a relic off of a 
short list of relics. And the one I'm taking is Adamantine Mantle for a five-vote field no pain on him. And then the relic is the armor Indomitus, which makes him just an absolute tank. It gives him plus one wound, it gives him a two-up armor save, and then once a game, you can activate it to give you a three-up armor save, which, you know, when a knight is running up and wailing on you, bonk, pop the three-up, you're fine, and you're all set. And then I have some buffing powers like uh, Canticle of Hate for plus two to charge, plus three-inch pounds consolidates, and Mantra of Strength for plus one strength attack and damage on his weapon, just when he needs to actually get going and start you know, dominating a side of the board. Nick Has he died in the man. game yet? Uh, have you had him die yet in the guy. game? Next up, I have Dante. No Warlord trait, because uh, I think his Warlord trait is kind of mediocre, but I like him as a character. He's fast, he hits hard, and he doesn't cost any CP, because um, you don't take a Warlord trait or a Relic on him, so there you go. Um, so I think he's phenomenal, because he's basically like a guy who has a Relic and a Warlord trait, but he doesn't have one, because you don't have to spend for it. Next, I have a Sanguinary Priest. I gave him... Um, Selfless Healer, and I gave him the Teeth of Terror, so he also punches really hard. Uh, then I have two squads of Autobolt Rifle Intercessors, one squad of Incursors, and then here's the good stuff. A seven-man, a seven-man, and a six-man uh, Sanguinary Guard squad. They all had two swords, and the rest were axes. I would rather have all axes, but it's so hard to find axes for them that uh, whatever, I went with the swords. Then I have a five-man Death Company unit with four Thunder Hammers, and then I have a ten-man uh, Vanguard Veteran squad, all with Thunder Hammers and Storm... Uh, ooh, that would be nice. Uh, lightning claws and storm shields and then finally i have a sanguinary ancient with wrath of ball which gives all my jump pack units uh plus two inches to their move and uh he has rights of war so he turns guys objective secured which is very strong in this army and that's it so you're just you're just moving him up giving plus two to movement and you're making stuff obsec as he moves with them that's pretty smart yep yep uh the plus two inches move is is phenomenal actually because you get plus two inches to your move and blood angels get plus one to advances and charges as well as plus one to wound in combat if you charged, were charged, or heroic. So that means you're moving plus two, charging at plus one, or if you have the chaplain canticle of hate up, you're charging at plus two instead, which is just makes you go so much further. What's the threat range on one of the sanguinary guard units with like that whole package there? Uh, 26. Jeez. Yeah, it's 26, which is quite a lot of the table. Nick was measuring 26 inches quite a lot. Speaking of Nick, Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Grey Knight list, which his list went into. For sure. So I was running the classic Grandmaster Nanavati special. We got uh, two Grandmaster Dread Knights, one of them teleported, one of them once per game, three Abinval, three regular Dread Knights. Um, everyone's kitted out with the, the Gatling Cannon and the Silencer, uh, the Psyche and Silencer combo. The heavy support ones all had fists, and the Grandmasters had swords for extra choppiness. Three units of ten Interceptors. That's the, the flying, jumpy, Grey Knight models. They pretty much combat squatted every game, so there's six units of five functionally. And then uh, just a unit of strikes floating around. Um, for other HQs, I had a Tech Marine who heals people and a Mortal Wound Librarian, who I'm sure will get his own segment at some point. Now, something that uh, to make note of there is those Interceptors, they actually have teleports. They can just walk through things, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Notably, it's not fly. It's like functionally fly in the way that interacts with terrain and intervening models, but you're not allowed to charge flyers or any rules that interact with specifically fly. They don't specifically fly. That's interesting. So yeah, so they, they get to walk through stuff, but they don't necessarily have the fly keyword, so they can't do all the other shenanigans that you can do with that. Cool. So tell me, tell us about the mission. What mission were y'all playing and walk me through the secondaries that both of y'all took here. Absolutely. So we were playing on Overrun. Uh, which is a hold two objectives to get five points and a hold three objectives to get 10. And there's three objectives on each side, Dawn of War deployment. 
Um, I took Oza Moment. I took uh, Banners, and I took Abhor the Witch because Nick's army has a lot of uh, psychers in it. Nick, what did you take? I went for um, some some ones I don't normally take, but Oath kind of, uh, Overrun kind of forces your hand on that one. I went for Engage instead of Strangle, which is new for me. I went for Rods, which I also don't love doing, but you gotta do what you gotta do. And I went for um, the Green Eye one that's really good, the Warpcraft uh, Purifying Ritual. I did it. So proud of you. So in your list, uh, Nick, the guys doing Rods would probably be the... Oh, you can teleport. You have the, the spells that let you kind of go over the board. Yeah, so my list is, is both good and bad at Rods. It's it's on paper good at Rods because for 2CP, I can just pick a unit up in the moon phase, put it somewhere else in the moon phase, and go Rods that quarter. Really good for late game retrieving data. Um, an early game, you can usually just figure out your own half of the board. Um, the thing with my army is I only have seven units of infantry, and all of them are very important to actually contributing to the game plan, shooting, charging, punching stuff. And if you do retrieve data, you cannot do your psychic secondary, because you can only do one action. So I had to be very, very particular when I have two action secondaries to complete with my seven units of infantry. So that's why I don't love doubling up like that. If you want to hear more about Nick's Grey Knights, actually, go listen to the Art of War episode 111. It was, it was last week, so go check it out if you want to hear more about that particular list and all that. Jack, tell us how the game started. How did you deploy? What was your plan going into the game? Sure. So uh, I deployed behind, behind the terrain, so Nick, it's not easy for him to get shots on me turn one because he's a shooting army. I don't want to just give that to him. Um. And I set it up so that if I went first, I might be able to peel a Grandmaster with the Death Company. And if I went second, I could just bunker down and try and get that good second turn scoring on turn five to try and rack up a whole bunch of primary points over Nick. Because I know his uh, Warcraft ritual, Warcraft secondaries, uh, purifying ritual. I see I stumbled over it too. too. I know, I know. Uh, That one's a 15. There's nothing I can do about that. And his uh, retrieve Octarius data is likely going to be a 12. Uh, he's too mobile. I don't really want to just expose units to zone out when he's got all of his shooting, so he's likely just going to get a 12 on that by the end of the game. And engage is a little bit more awkward for him, so I know if I'm going to ding him on any secondary points, that's going to be the one. I'm going to keep him to like a 10 or 11 comfortably. So I know his secondaries are looking pretty hot, and mine are not quite looking as good. Oath's looking to be like a 10 maybe. Uh, especially if I go second. Um, Banners is pretty good because he doesn't push into me particularly well because if he comes near me, he dies horribly. Um, And then, you know, if he comes anywhere near me, I'm going to get two points for every unit I peel up, three points for every character. So Abhor is looking good. So I'm going to be a little bit down on secondaries. I got to be good on, on primaries. So I'm looking to ding him every turn, give him a five. He doesn't push into me quite as well. That's my game plan. Um, to trade, give him fives on primary, give me tens, and then get a 15 right at the end, and he can't overcome that with his secondaries. Tell me a little bit about uh, the Death Company, and just kind of tell our viewers kind of how you positioned them for that move you were talking about. So Death Company have a uh, one CP. After you know who's going first, they can move 12 inches. That's very good, because if you're going first, they move 12, you give them every buff because they string out, then they move 14 with the Wrath of Ball, and that's 26 inches of movement, then they charge something and they absolutely blend it with their thunder hammers. So if you, you know, if you need something deleted turn one, except no substitutes. But the other thing that's really good about it is that you can just establish board control early. 
I actually think the death company are better going second on GW terrain than they are going first, as weird as that is to say. Because most of the time on GW terrain, there's two ruins in the center of the board. And if you go second, your opponent can move to try and dominate the center so that you can't move into it. And that is a death blow for your army, especially for Blood Angels. They have to, have to, have to control the center of the board. So what you can do is if you're going second, Death Company move up behind the terrain in the center. If your opponent decides they want to push up, Death Company murder them. And if they don't, then you, on your turn, can just move and establish control of the center of the board for free. And uh, you can just win because you're going second. Nice. Uh, when you look at the board and you see Nick's army, do you consider this a bad matchup for you? It, in my mind, it depends on the on the deployment. I think if we're on um, the GW hammer and anvil or um, diagonal deployments, I think it's favored for me. Although not by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, uh, just a like a wipeout. I think it's slightly favored if I can establish control of the center. On the Dawn of War terrain, there is no uh, terrain in the center, which uh, which makes the matchup significantly worse. It's also easier for him to maneuver around my flanks and get angles, which is actually what happened in this game. So I would uh, say that on the diagonal deployments or hammer and anvil, I think I'm slightly favored. And on the Dawn of War, I'd say I think I'm slightly not, slightly disfavored. So walk me through the game. What happened? So y'all are deployed. You have everything set up. Your goal is to kind of go and deny him some primary because you know his secondary points are going to be very high. So how did the game play out starting at turn one? Well, Nick went first, and he and I both knew that meant he needed to get active immediately. Um, if he just lets us sit and trade, he can't push and take my primaries. I can take and push and take his primaries. That's a huge problem for him. So he and I both knew as soon as I won the rollout for second term, which is what I wanted, he had to go. He had to make something happen, and he did. He uh, teleported one Dread Knight over straight into the corner, from one corner to another. Nick lives in them corners. And then he went, he moved a bunch of stuff up to kind of follow up. So if I did anything to that Dread Knight, I would get hit in return. And then he went to teleport a second Dread Knight next to the first one. Now, that one failed, even with Gem of Inoctu and a reroll, which was a big deal. Because it meant he just couldn't bring the same level of power down to bear on my flank. Luckily for him, I had made a slight mistake. We can talk about this later. Uh, I had left my left flank, or his right flank, I left one too few units over there, I think. And what that meant is when he teleports over, if he deletes the Sangard squad on that side, I'm not exactly set up to, to counterpunch him as hard. Because if I can trade my Sangard for his Dread Knight, then we're good. If I trade one Sangard squad for two Dread Knights, which is probably what it takes to shoot me dead, we're doing great. So he doesn't want to do one-for-one -one trades. He wants to he wants to come in and just wipe me out and then prevent my return fire, which probably would have ended the game. I have a bunch of plays I can do. Um, I we, we talked it out. We can talk about it, but he did fail the power. So luckily, he was not bringing that power to bear on my left flank. So during his shooting phase, he kills half of the unit of Sanguinary Guard, brings him down to three. And then he also managed to find a little angle through the center of the board for one Dread Knight to shoot down into my other, into another Sanguinary Guard. But this one isn't getting the plus strength and AP buff and um, the hitting on twos and everything. So we'd just be hitting on threes and I'd be getting my full armor saving cover. And he elected actually not to shoot me because if he had killed one of my guys, he had measured that he's 26.1 inches away from me. But if he kills one of my guys, I'm going to pull the back guy, move the squad up, resurrect a model with the Sanguinary Ancient, and suddenly with the plus two to charge off the Chaplain, we're looking at a six or a seven on the dice. 
And that is very bad for Nick because that would let me hammer just two of his Dread Knights off the board and stick a bunch of Sangard in his face. Not That's such a big for. brain move, man. That's awesome that you thought of that in, the, in, in advance. That's like the, the next level stuff there. I'll give Jack credit to the sportsmanship here. I, I was very diligently measuring 26 inches out because I was like, you move 14, you can declare what's in 12, that's 26, so I'm 26.1 of away. And like repeatedly, I was like, before, while moving the miles, I'm like, so this guy has line of sight to him, I'm 26.1 inches away, I'm good to go. And Jack was like, for now. And I was like, what is that? And then he explained the trick. And I, I'm aware of the space wing trick where if you kill a guy, it resurrects two inches in front of your unit plus the base size. So it's kind of like three to four free inches of resurrection movement. Um, but I wasn't thinking about it, and Jack reminded me like a gentleman, and I will say thanks, Jack. Absolutely. Not looking to not looking to end the tournament like that. Because, yeah, the worst thing you can do against Marines is kill one model out of a close combat unit. Because it, it's coming back, and now the squad moves like four inches further. But for real, it took... A, it took I, I spent like two minutes staring at this Dread Knight, looking at sitting in there, I'm like, am I really not going to shoot this thing? But... That's the, that's the calls you got to make to win those games. Yeah, and it was 100% the right call. I think if you had chipped me off and you killed one of them, I think the game ends. So so what happens? Well, we'll talk about that's a part two thing. I want to talk because part two remind me during the what we'll now call the Nick hour instead of the Brad hour. I want to know what happens if he does kill that. I want to walk through that scenario in part two. Absolutely. It's a, it would be a very short explanation. Um, absolutely. Well, there are multiple the times during this game I, I, when... So in the game that we're talking about, I just deep struck one Dread Knight over. I got that for sure with Shunt. The other one failed with Gate and Gen of Anoxus. That's why my plan for double Dread Knighting Jack is now only signal Dread Knighting Jack. How did you go from there? Right. So you shot away half my unit, and you're sitting pretty. So now I need to counterpunch because you're about to move down that flank and try and sweep me with a couple of Dread Knights. So I move every... I move a squad of van vets that is next to the sanguinary guard and the sanguinary guard over to charge into your guy and charge into your um, dread knight, your grandmaster. And I move my chaplain up next to him as well. This is the three so I'm going to hit him with everything I can bring to bear. And I also cycle the squad from my right flank over to my left flank behind terrain where Nick cannot see it, even if he moves up. So just reinforcing my left side just so that he can't answer what I've put in his face and then be free. If he moves up, he's going to get hit. Now, I also know I have to work on his primary, so I sent the squad of death company up on my right flank. I sent them up, killed the squad of interceptors that's on the objective, and I tried, and I piled away because I was kind of piled sideways to, what, uh, to his closest unit. And I piled mostly behind a wall, just trying to make his life a little, little bit more difficult to kill them. And that was that was my turn. Um, on his turn, oh, the uh, his grandmaster lived on one wound. Hey, it popped the once per game three pinball. I used a CP reroll, and I trusted the dice. Yep, because I resurrected one of my sanguinary guards. So it's four sanguinary guard hitting on twos, rerolling, wounding on threes, um, and I made them assault doctrine as well. So five attacks piece, and then it was five vanguard veterans. With not an assault doctrine, hitting on, I want to say threes re-rolling, wounding on fours re-rolling, and the the chaplain as well. So it was quite a bit of force, but we mathed it out, and I think it's about a 50-50 that he dies. Nick had to spend a re-roll, but it got close. So he lived on one wound, which actually turned out to be pretty large. Then, so what happened was Nick has used his shunt on this on this guy. So he's pinned in the corner. He can't walk through my models. He's wrapped. Um Nick can't shunt back out. Luckily, he has gate near enough that he can move up and cast it to get him out of there. 
Nick moves a Dread Knight on my top right, on my right flank, to deal with the Death Company. Shoot them, then he's going to charge them with some uh, interceptors. And he moves all of his Dread Knights on my left flank to just crush everything I just dropped on his Dread Knight, on his Grandmaster in my corner. So he warps his, his Grandmaster out, puts him right next to the Tech Marine. He eventually ended the game at like nine wounds or something. Uh, seven wounds, I think. And he just shoots away everything that's in that corner except for the chaplain who lived on three wounds. He almost messed up my right flank. What's that? Canticle of hate on that chaplain. I hate that thing so much. Yes, yes. Nick really does hate that chaplain. Hates him so much. Uh, Has that chaplain ever died? He didn't die in this game. As, have you ever had him die in, in the last, like, uh, in Orlando or in Crucible? Did he ever, did someone ever take him down? It's weird. He sometimes just dies to nothing. Like, I just fail a bunch of saves, fail a bunch of feel no pains, and he goes away. I'm like, huh. But usually he's the last model left alive. He basically rolled an entire flank by himself with the apothecary against the Death Guard army. Um, he, he has tanked a Knight Lancer to the face before. The nice thing about him is he's the best target for Angel Sacrifice. He goes in alongside a big unit, and you can't interrupt. Because if you do, I'm going to force you to fight the chaplain for one CP. You bounce off, and then the unit that went in with him just picks you up. Um, he's almost like a mini Morty. Like, it's crazy his, uh, what you put on him. He's just, like, hard to kill. That's crazy. Yeah, he's, he's very hard to kill, and I'm not emphasizing enough. Nick hates this guy. Hates him very much. And saw that he knocked him down to three and was trying to go in for the kill, but couldn't quite get it. Uh, on my right flank, he almost smited away the one Death Company model that he could see um, and just barely, re- again, restrained himself from just doing damage uh, and then managed to shoot away like half the unit and charge back onto the objective. My turn, the one Sanguinary Guard squad I had moved over the previous turn charges into two Dread Knights and I pick up uh, one, I pick up his Grandmaster and I put his other Dread Knight down to three wounds and my character kills his, um, his Librarian. So I hit him really, really hard on that flank. And crucially, Chaplin goes from three to six wounds, and Nick is now mad. Um, big mad. Hate that big Chaplin. Mad. Still like, hate him. He saw that this guy was, you know, almost dead, and suddenly he's now almost fully health. And Nick was not happy about this. Uh, I traded another unit on the right flank to give him another five. This is the second five Nick has gotten, and I'm about to get a ten. So he is he knows he's under the gun on primary. So we end up trading a whole bunch on my left flank. We trade back and forth, and eventually he does get the better of that. those exchanges. Um, I basically put myself in a position a couple of times where I needed a sang- Sangguard squad and cover to live through like two Dread Knights. And on average, I don't quite get it, but I keep setting myself up for these scenarios where, boy, if it happens, oh man, he's just dead. So he murders the Sangguard squad, and he starts overwhelming me with strikes and or, um, interceptors and Dread Knights on the left flank, although I'm picking them, I'm picking them off some. I think he ends the game with like uh, two or three Dread Knights. And my chaplain is just running around, just bonking Interceptor squads one after the other on my left flank. But he's given me, a, by the end of the game, he gave me a couple fives on that side. And that ended up being the, the deciding point. Because he's running through my units, but if I've established enough of a points, uh, points hole for him, he just can't take himself out. Uh, he keeps trading away units on my right flank, just going, taking his objective, dying, going, taking his objective, dying. You know, squad of Vanguard vets, and then Dante goes in, and then a Sanguinary Guard squad goes in later in the game. And the deciding moment was a Sanguinary squad went in, wiped out the unit on the objective, and again, he needed to, it was in cover, he needed to kill it. 
with uh, like two Dread Knights, I believe, maybe maybe a little bit more than that. And if he didn't, game over. But he did, which I think is likely that he will. And then I just run out of stuff, unfortunately. He had a turn of scoring like a 10 at that point, and I just ran out of things to do. So I couldn't capitalize on the fact I had turn two. So where did you end up on primary? What was y'all's primary scores? It ended up actually being a seven-point game, I want to say. I think it was like 84, 77 or 76 or something. Yeah, 83, um, yeah it was seven points. Primary, I was either up five or it was a tie. Because Jack gave me some fives early, but I caught up at the end when he was running out of models. Um, and like he said, he wasn't able to capitalize on that bottom turn natural push. But I, I think what really hurt in this game was Jack's lack of Oath of the Moment. And that, the, a big thing here was that Jack had bottom a turn with Oath, which is traditionally a very good combo to just walk in the middle and score points. And I have characters and, dread and vehicles for him to kill. And, uh, you know, Blood Angels don't really fall back much. But in this game, the middle was a barren wasteland. And Jack doesn't have many units to throw away. So he kind of missed Oath in the first few turns. Yeah, the Jack. last uh, the last two turns of the game, I was able to just throw away a character every turn to just take the center. But I ended, I think, with like an I want to say a ten, an eight, maybe. It wasn't good. What do you perceive as kind of the a couple mistakes you made in the game that maybe cost you some points here or there? Is there any moments where you're kind of like, ah, I wish I had that back? Uh, I had an incursor squad on the left side that I thought was just not in line of sight of Nick, and it just was. Like I just should have checked that. Um, I, I let him teleport over on my left flank, which we can talk about whether that was a mistake or not. I think there's arguments for either case, but he did it. And, um, bigger mistake would be that I left my left flank under strength, which meant that he could just hit me and not take a gigantic return shot, um, which ended up being a pretty big, pretty big error. That's, that's something I'm excited. That's, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that left flank definitely during what I'm going to deem as the nickening or part two. Of this episode, we're going to go into looking at things that you maybe could have done different and kind of talking it out and saying, hmm, if we had done this, would it have shifted the game more in your favor? Or, I mean, y'all did some pretty high level plays. I mean, there was no major mistakes from what it sounds like, but there are moments in every game where you kind of have a micro, what maybe is a micro mistake that could have shifted the game. And I think that would be something interesting to talk about. Yeah, I, I think my biggest mistake would be not taking stranglehold. Um, I thought that I was not going to get very many points on it. And it turns out that if I'd picked it, I would have gotten about a 12 to a 15. I was just getting it every turn. So we can talk about that as well, but uh, never let myself be swayed away from Stranglehold again. Love that secondary. Well, thanks for joining us, Jack. I'm real excited to get into part two with you. We're going to have Nick just grill you with all kinds of questions, and you can in turn grill him back. Um, one thing that our listeners like to hear, and you were on episode two, I don't know if we said that Nick was our second guest on this podcast. And I don't think we had this question when you were last on it. But one thing our viewers constantly want to know is how do you look at a game in hindsight? What is the Jack Harpster method for looking back at a game and saying, all right, this is what I did wrong. Here's how I'm going to analyze it. And here's how I want to move forward. It's generally anytime I've given something away for free is generally a mistake. So if I lost points that I could have gotten for free, or if I've lost units that I did not need to give away, that's usually a pretty solid sign that I made a mistake there. Um, if a unit gets shot that didn't need to get shot, or a unit gets charged that didn't need to get charged, um, that, will, that should tell you something. Uh, especially since if 
if a unit dies and it had no impact on objectives, that's usually also a mistake as well. Um, because usually you should have some kind of justification in terms of why units are doing things that at some level boils down to points. Uh, how many points you're going to get out of it, how many points you can deny your opponent from being able to deny you. Um, so anytime a unit dies and it has nothing to do with the board state, nothing to do with like the way the game is flowing currently, that's usually a mistake. And anytime I could have gotten points and just didn't, like I wasn't on an objective or I w wasn't within six of the center for some reason for Oath, that's usually a mistake as well. I always love to hear, that's my favorite question to hear people answer, because like I feel like, honestly, you would expect people to say the same thing, but I think in 22 episodes or however long we've been doing it, like it's been something unique every time, and it's really cool to hear. Like Someone always has a little insight, just how their brain works. I think that's pretty neat. Um, the last thing for the episode is every episode, we do a Q&A from the War Room members. The War Room is a service on Facebook. You can go to theartofwar40k.com. You can subscribe. On that, on the war room, there are coaching matches. There are coaching matches. I said that twice, but you know what I mean. Two coaches playing each other. They break down the moves. They break down why they did what they did. It's usually very meta-relevant armies. There's also, you can check out the podcast there. There's all kinds of clinics that talk about the different factions in the game, different strategies for different um, mission types. This is a great thing to check out. One of the perks is that we allow our war room members to ask Q&A questions. This week, the question comes from myself, Blake Law. Jack, what events are you doing to close the season out? Um, well, we're going to GW Austin, for, for sure, going there. Might go to Warzone Atlanta. Uh, as far as the season goes, definitely going to LVO. Uh, and past that, probably just any GT and driving distance after that. Uh, I don't really feel like flying uh, to any events unless they're LVO. Are you doing the... Are you going to be doing the New Orleans one? That's pretty close to you, the one in December. Probably not, actually. I um, I have other plans for that weekend, but I wish I could. Well, you're, you're breaking my heart, Jack. I'm sorry, you know buddy. Well, thanks for coming on, Jack. Make sure to check out part two where we talk about the different adjustments he's going to make to both the list, and we'll talk about the mistakes and what possibly could have been done differently. Make sure to check out our other podcast, The Art of War Vanilla, now with Steve Joel and old Johnny Lennon. Make sure to check out The Art of War Down Under with the late and great Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are The Art of War Pistachio, the one you didn't know you liked till you tried it. Thanks for listening. Check us out for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and The Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network, theartofwar40k.com. Thank <laughs> you.